Welcome to TWIST, This Week in Sustainability. My name is Felicia Etzkorn. I'm a professor at Virginia Tech. And my co-host is Jamie Ferguson. Hello, Felicia. I'm Jamie Ferguson. I uh, am at Emory & Henry College, uh, which is in far southwest Virginia, uh, about a half an hour from the Bristol Motor Speedway. <laughs> Trying to put myself on the map, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. A good reference point. Yeah, we're we're the um the only blue dot on the maps you've seen in Southwest Virginia in Blacksburg, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and it's a uh, glorious, sunny, and seventy degrees here today. So today we will be talking about batteries. And I have two wonderful guests. Both of them are professors at Virginia Tech. I have with me Feng Lin and Lou Madsen. So Feng Lin, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, everyone. Hi, uh, Felicia and Jamie. And hi, Lou. Um, um, I started my assistant professor appointment at Virginia Tech Chemistry in 2016. So I have been here for a little over four years already. Um, my lab uh, develops batteries technology and including lithium ion batteries and sodium ion batteries, all different kind of battery chemistries that we are working on. Uh, prior to this position, I was at a company in Silicon Valley developing solid state batteries. And uh, my, my battery education background really rooted back to when I was a postdoc at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab. I spent a few years there uh, working with um, lithium ion batteries and specifically cathode chemistry of the lithium ion batteries. And we will have more introduction what the cathode is and what the anode is uh, in the later part of this conversation. But that's sort of terminology I wanna throw out here, right, right here, and uh, we'll have more discussion. Very happy to be here. Okay, and uh, my second guest is Lou Madsen. Lou, will you introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Felicia. And uh, thanks, Felicia and, and Jamie, for having me on your podcast. Uh, yeah, this is Lou Madsen. I'm um, a professor of chemistry at Virginia Tech, and uh, I've been here since 2006. Uh, I actually had the pleasure of um, helping to hire Feng Lin and uh, come here to Virginia Tech. So that was one of my great successes in my career. Uh, and, uh, and in, in snowstorms, <laughs> in, snow yeah, he came, he visited both, both times during snowstorms. So that was, it was memorable. Amazing. And he still came. You know, I, I, I have something to say about that later after we finish. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, um, I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, walking distance from the university of Wisconsin. And, um, then, uh, went to Grinnell college in Iowa. Uh, where I did chemistry and physics and uh, went on from there um, after actually a year off, a year off doing some things I wanted to do, like um, running a jazz band and uh, painting some houses. I went to the California Institute of Technology for my PhD in chemistry, spent a little time at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, um, microfabricating uh, magnetic sensors and um, uh, my PhD was actually on uh, MRI-related technology, magnetic resonance imaging-related technology development and uh, in basic science. And uh, then I went on to a postdoc at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and uh, started learning about 
materials science and polymers and things like that, and um, did, did some studies on those, and uh, came to Virginia Tech in 2006 and, and have continued those things. And I basically combine uh, the use of magnetic resonance or MRI technology uh, to understand materials better, uh, and also to create some materials like electrolytes for batteries. And we'll, we'll talk about what electrolytes are in a little bit. So thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Lou. Thanks, Feng. Today we'll be talking about batteries. Batteries, how they work, how electricity works. We'll be talking about anodes and cathodes and electrolytes, and particularly the material that the cathodes are made of to optimize the performance of the battery, as well as the particular materials of the electrolyte, the fluid that moves between the two electrodes of a battery. Okay, let's get into it. Um, I'd actually like to start with um, just electricity. Mm. Could you, Lou, could you explain electricity from a very fundamental, like, how do you get work out of electrons? Sure. Yeah, okay, so electricity. Um, so we have all these wonderful things around us like lights and motors and um, yeah, and, uh, and computers, right, that run on electricity. And basically the, the fundamental unit there, the basic unit there is the electron, okay, which is a, a, a particle, a negatively charged particle that exists in all atoms. And um, electrons can flow through wires. And so you know that from um, sort of, you know, your daily life that you can use water to do work, right? So you can like pour water uh, on a water wheel and it will turn a water wheel, or you can lift water and, and, you know, raise and lower water and use that to get energy in and out of things, right? Dams, um, you can have water in a, in a lake and that can flow through some turbines and you can extract work from that water being held at a higher elevation and then going to a lower elevation. So that's electrons um, flow a little like water inside wires and wires are essentially like pipes for electrons. And so you can use those electrons to transfer energy. Uh, and just like you have a lake that holds water at a higher level and you can let that go down into a, a river below that, uh, you can hold electrons at higher energy states. So you can, and that's called voltage. So you can have electrons that are held at higher voltage. Um, and uh, like your car battery is at 12 volts and you can have a difference of 12 volts where the batteries can sort of go downhill from plus 12 volts to zero volts and they can uh, do work and the electrons flow through things like motors and lights um, and things but, at higher voltage. But how do they actually do work? This, I'm actually asking this because okay. I don't get it. <laughs> okay. How do electrons do work? Yeah, so, okay, so how do they do work? All right, so electrons do work essentially by uh, charge charges, right? So there's basically attraction between plus and minus charge, right? So you basically have, if you take, if you take two charges or, uh, you know, then you, they have a force of attraction, plus and minus, right? Does that make sense? So those, so that's basically a way that you can use to attract things together or pull on things, right? Do work. Yeah. So you can and so when a so when a reduction is happening, 
uh, on an anode and something is is depositing out of solution, then it's creating uh, some sort of chemical potential, uh, some sort of pull, like a, for, for a concentration gradient, which moves everything a little bit in one direction. Yeah, so there's electric charge, right? There's a pull, right? There's a, yeah, so there's a pull the between the, yeah, the pull between the charges, right, which makes a chemical, what's called a chemical potential, right? Which, which causes a changes in density or changes in populations of electrons or changes in charge states of different chemicals like lithium. That's a start, I guess, but yeah. So Jamie, um, take, yes. take it. Take it, okay. Well, so I have, um, uh, I, I hope you can't hear my dog barking. A little bit. But okay, we're trying. We're trying to close all. There are two beagles, so that's, <laughs> that's what we're working against. But um, so Fung, you were you were saying that cathodes are uh, really important parts of batteries. So if you could kind of explain what are the components of a battery, and where do we get the words cathode and anode? I I know that I get confused when I'm not exactly studying the material, I have to go back and remind myself which one does what in the discharge versus the charging. Do you have like a, a quick mnemonic or something for people to describe how a battery works? Yeah, well, I think if, if we go back to the chemistry classes, by the way, I'm not a chemist by training, so I, I get used to introduce terms that non-chemists can understand. Um, so cathode in the electrochemical cell actually represents something that's undergoing reduction reaction. So mm -hmm. if re So what is the reduction? The reduction reaction is a reaction that will take electrons. So let's say if we are uh, consuming, we are taking electrons to make iron three plus oxidation state to two plus iron oxidation state, that's a reduction process. It's the iron is accepting electron. An electron is sticking to the iron, basically. Right. right? Exactly. It's becoming part of the iron atom. Right. So that's what we call a reduction because you're you're at you're adding negative charge with those electrons. So you're re, you know taking the charge more negative. So it's reducing. Right. In, in a way, you can say that very similar to the analogy that Rue gave earlier about the water at the higher level versus low level kind of thing, right? So if you have a higher oxidation state, you add a higher elevated potential. Once you get reduced by taking the negatively charged electrons, your potential goes down. Um, uh, so that's the conventional definition of the cathode and the anode with the opposite uh, will be in, in an electrochemical cell that the anode will get um, oxidized by losing electrons or by donating electrons. And that electrons donated by the anode will go to the cathode, right? The anode will, will get oxidized during discharge. Yeah. During, during discharge. Okay. Right. Yeah. right, during discharge. So, so, we, so we have to figure out a way to remember that it's during discharge that A and O are both yeah. vowels and R and C are both consonants. So reduction right. happens at the cathode, but only during discharge because right. it's opposite day during right. charge. Right. 
that's okay. when it's that's when the battery is acting like a battery and when you okay. when you're charging it it's acting like an electrolysis electrolysis Americans yeah. don't know about recharging batteries, so that won't confuse, you know, most of them. Sure they do. Well, sometimes sometimes people sometimes people call the the cathode as positive electrodes in the in the in the lithium-ion battery community, for example, because the uh, the cathode is at a higher redox potential. So for example, let's take a commercial lithium-ion battery. Mm -hmm. You have lithium cobalt oxide, which we operate the redox reaction, which is the reduction reaction and oxidation reaction on the lithium cobalt oxide, the reduction oxidation happens, they happen at the cobalt element. So the cobalt redox potential, so we then react, oxidize or reduce, they have a reaction potential at the higher side. Whereas on the graphite, the oxidation or reduction on the graphite is at the lower potential side. So you think of this like you have something that's higher, something that's lower. So it's natural to call something like positive when something is higher and negative when something is lower. So lithium cobalt oxide is a cathode. So we call positive electrode. Graphite is an anode, has a lower potential. We call this as a negative electrode. So that so positive electrode, negative electrode will be something that's easier uh, to resonate with the audience uh, because the yeah. higher one is lower. In terms of redox chemistry, organic chemists have this mnemonic device. We say Leo, the lion says Ger, and that's loss of electrons is oxidation. That's Leo, and gain of electrons is reduction. Yeah. And so on the other side, uh, the cathode is reduction, so it's a red cat. I.e. Mm. Red, red cat. cat. A red cat. Yeah. Okay. I usually remember it like Jamie was saying that the vowels go together, anode and oxidation, and the and the consonants go together, reduction and cathode. Cool. Yep. So. Yep. Although, uh, yeah, another easier way is just that reduction means reduction of positive charge, right? Yep. Yeah. You're reducing the positive charge. You're making things less positive. So that's another way to remember it. Yeah. Yeah. It was always confusing. To I think of cation and cathode and yeah for batteries that works yeah it's like I, I think that is the origin of the name of cathodes yes, and it is. anodes Ani yeah anide and anine is anode and cath cat cation is cathode yeah right yep right but that only works for batteries right in discharge for elect for electrolysis <laughs> it's opposite that's right that's right that's it's so confusing it gets confusing I think it's a, right. It's it's just a convention that we picked as the discharging battery. But if you charge it, run electrolysis, then then the right. plus and minus switch, right? Yeah. The, the other confusing thing can be that we say cathode material, but cathode material really in a battery that operates as a cathode when it's discharging, operates as an right. anode when it's charging. But we we, right. we just say everything right. as you know cathode material. Structurally, I think of it like a, a conjugate acid-base reaction or something with lithium in a little benzene sandwich on one side, and then lithium, you know, cation with O minuses from the oxide. So I, I just imagine that. I guess that's where all that negative charge is going. Is it's flowing to the oxygens of the of the oxides? Is that 
for is that an organic chemist acceptable way to summarize that uh, the magic of a of a of a nickel cobalt you, you were just pointing to a, a really a research research frontier question is where that electron go ah, um, yes that's right uh, it, it goes to either the metal cations that you describe as nickel cobalt or manganese or the oxygen anion that you describe right so um for most batteries we have today, lithium cobalt oxide, that electron goes to cobalt. So cobalt perform the oxidation reaction or reduction reaction upon you know, uh, charging or discharging of a, of a battery. The oxygen anion contributed to about 30 to 40% by weight of your uh, cathode materials we have today in batteries, but it doesn't perform much uh, redox reactions at all. So it doesn't contribute to any capacity. So a research frontier question is, how can we utilize oxygen to perform redox reaction and to give, give extra capacity, right? You will have to design new materials rather than lithium cobalt oxide or any other kind of conventional uh, oxide systems that we are working on. Uh, so it has to be something new. Just to point out one thing about that is that the oxygen, if you think about manganese or Cobalt being positively charged and lithium being positively charged, basically they don't they they do not you know there's a force for them to be repelled right. So the oxygen actually needs to be there in order for the lithium to be able to get close enough to accept the electron from the metal right. If the oxygen weren't there, you couldn't just have the metal there. Um, you know the oxygen sort of forms an environment that's negatively charged enough to let the lithium get close to the metal that's going to actually transfer the electron. I think that's and right. And lithium yeah. is an oxophile. It lithium really likes oxygen. Yep. yep. That's true too. Yep. yep. The other th that that's essentially the reason why the electrode materials can be stable because you have lithium that's positively charged that can hold all the oxygens mm -hmm. and transition metal ions together in the in the cathode framework. That's that's why the structure is stable. Uh, I want to go back to the the, the metal oxidation reaction or, or oxygen oxidation reaction from a chemistry standpoint because metal ions they, they actually form chemical bonds between you know transition metals and oxygen anions right it's hard to really pinpoint where that electron go because the electron can go to the transition metal side so the electron going to the the cathode it can either go to the metals or it can go to the oxygen but because sometimes the the metals and the oxygen, they share electrons. So it's hard to pinpoint where exactly that electron go. It could be partially on the transition metal, partially on the anion. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Partially on the cobalt. Yeah. I, I hadn't gotten to it in your, in your paper, Fung, but I wanted to ask if, um, if you guys use density functional theory and if you could sort of describe what modeling does for you know for chemists these days does it you know does it drive what you choose to make in the lab um i i like the idea of density functional theory because it's like electrons as a fluid yeah. and that you don't want them to no electrons want to squeeze too close together they all want to sort of even out um i think it's a cool idea that you know yeah maybe people don't Right. So um, in terms of the theoretical aspect of batteries, there are basically many, many scientists who are developing 
like what you said, density function theory or other kind of fundamental theories to try to help design better battery materials. Uh, in my research lab, we, we are not a theoretical group, so we don't do theory on our own, but we collaborate with colleagues in the department and outside the department as well, uh, utilizing those theory framework to guide us to better understand how batteries materials fail or how we can design new kind of crystal structures. So basically when I saw, when I say crystal structures, meaning that metal ions and oxygen ions and lithium ions, they come together to form certain kind of framework, right? How far they are away from each other, what's the angle between the, 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 the chemical bonds. You can design materials from the ground by doing theoretical study. And there's always a link between theoretically understanding something and practically synthesizing something in the lab. And that's a big gap that uh, oftentimes very difficult to fill. Um, so we, we are, um, yeah, we still rely a lot on the theory today and, but the gap is huge. Would you say that your work, like the data that your work generates goes into making, you know, better theoretical predictions of? We do both ways. You know, uh, so we have a, we have a project um, which is on uh, Kubo-free cathodes, meaning that we want to get rid of Kubo. We synthesize the material by changing the chemical composition and, uh, and the structure of the material. And we ask theories to help us to rationalize why this kind of new design works. And then we fit experimental results so they can, they can refine their models. And once they refine their models, they can actually come up with more informative theoretical framework that can provide us with information such as what other things can we do to the material to make it even better. So that's called sort of like the feedback loop going on between the theoretical aspect and experimental aspect. We are doing that almost every single day, um, mm -hmm. trying to close that loop. Okay, so I just wanna kind of wrap up this introductory section. We've talked about um, what a battery is, what electricity is and what a battery is. Um, we've talked about the positive and the negative electrodes of a battery. They can be cathodes and anodes and we've defined that. Um, the downhill direction for the energy is um, the part that, you know, uses the electrons for work. It's, it's like it's giving up its energy to do the work. And the uphill direction is recharging. That's why you've got to plug your phone into whatever charging outlet you can find in the airport, right? Um, it used to be harder than it is today. The electrodes, these, this cathode and anode idea, depends on the chemical properties of each electrode. Like how easy is it to remove an electron or how attracted is the you know, electron to the, the material? So, so the, you know, which material per, performs which function depends on its, you know, electron affinity, really. Um, and, and then we're going to get into the details um, of some other stuff. I'd like to kind of run through some 
common battery, just a couple of common batteries, not a lot of them. But what, what's a NICAD battery, uh, Lou? <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that was a very uh, popular battery, I guess, when I, was, when I was a kid. That was sort of the, maybe the cutting edge technology if you wanted to do some kind of remote control or uh, electric power tools and things like that. And that, that NICAD comes from nickel and cadmium. So that's two different metals. Um, and those metals, you know, form parts of the cathode and the anode. And uh, they have a particular uh, affinity for electrons and difference between the energies of those cathode and anode. And so they give you a certain voltage coming out of the battery. So one thing that people uh, around me don't really do well is dispose of NICAD batteries properly um, mm. because cadmium is very toxic. Quite toxic, right? Yeah. And so cadmium should not be disposed of in household waste. And so right. we'll get into this a little bit more later. Um, but I I want to talk about recycling batteries at some point. So yeah, it's a great topic. And then I I would also like. Um, to talk about car batteries. And, and again, I'm going to direct this to Lou because we're going to come back to you, Feng, for lithium batteries. Um, so lead-acid car battery, the composition is lead, lead oxide, or lead dioxide, actually. And yep, lead dioxide. Sulfuric yep. acid. Like, is that and sulfuric acid, that's sul right. Is it concentrated yeah. sulfuric acid? Yeah, it's not it's not fully concentrated, but it is it is um, quite concentrated. I think it's probably, um, yeah. Anyway, to use chemistry language, I think it's something like three six molar. Okay, so, I was going to say three or four, but yeah. Anyway, it's quite. So is that concentrated. about thirty percent? It's probably about thirty. percent Yeah, something like that. Thirty percent sulfuric acid and seventy percent water, something like that. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, if you dilute it, that's it. You know, sulfur sulfate is very it's just an inert ion. So once you dilute it, it's not harmful, right? But it, when it's the acid, then it can be can burn you and it can damage uh, you know, damage components or damage people or yeah. So yeah. right. And lead, I mean, they're uh, still using lead acid yep. batteries in cars, right? Brand new cars. Yeah, that's by far. Yeah, like all basically all regular passenger cars still use lead acid. One thing about lead that's really good is that it's extremely easy to recycle and that it's almost almost fully recycled. Um, you know, there's several facilities around the US that take all the car batteries and turn them back into new car batteries and you can basically recycle I don't know 99% or more than all the lead. So it's in, you know, basically auto parts stores and auto shops and things like that, they all, they all, you know, they charge, Except. charge you $10. They'll give you 10 or $20 for a dead battery. So there's an incentive for you to, to, to bring those batteries in when you buy a new battery. Um, and so that's actually a very good system for, um, do, for they, recycling. do they recycle the sulfuric acid too? I yeah. do not know that. Um, my guess is that probably, I mean, I, I'm sure they, most of the time the batteries would go to the facility with the acid in it. So they probably dump it all into a big, into a big bin and they may recycle the sulfuric acid. Otherwise, you know, like I said, once you dilute that with water or neutralize it, 
with with a base like sodium hydroxide, then then that's all inert, right? That's all basically fine to right. put on right. put it wherever, um, you know, as long as you dilute it enough. I imagine they do recycle some of that, but I don't know that for sure. I know the lead is very highly recycled. It's one of the most successfully recycled things in the United States. Probably percentage wise, it might be the best the best thing that's ever recycled in the U.S. You know, to recycle, yeah. yeah. Okay, so now I want to take us to the 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 main section of the podcast, which is today our overarching theme is going to be alignment in batteries, because um, Feng Lin is an expert on lithium ion batteries, and so why lithium? What's so special about lithium, Feng? Well, that's that's a very good question. Um, Lithium is very light um, compared to other metal ions, but you can you can argue that proton is lighter, right? So uh, proton is the positively charged, just like lithium is one one positive charge. Uh, acid batteries essentially utilize proton as the charge carrier. Uh, lithium iron batteries are, for the most part, very rechargeable. Uh, meaning that the you can charge your battery and then when you discharge your battery and use it, you almost get the same energy out of it. So the, the long trip energy efficiency is very high, right? There are new kind of lithium ion battery chemistries, like you know, new materials. And for those ones, they are not in the commercial market yet. Uh, and the reason for that partially because of the energy efficiency is not at the level of what we have today for the commercial lithium ion batteries. And uh, lifetime is another thing. Um, lithium ion battery can easily go for a few years. You're looking at your cell phone, two, three years, you're still pretty much satisfied with, the, with the, how much capacity. Uh, I have a 2016 phone. Is it working, batteries? I I have, I did get, I got the battery replaced in this one. You probably spent about $80. Just this year, just this year. Just this year, yeah. Yeah. Um, But I have to say that a lot of malfunction, the reason of malfunctioning lithium ion batteries in cell phones is not just because of the battery chemistry itself, it's the communication of the controlling software and and your batteries. Um, So for car batteries, for example, lithium ion batteries will be a way to go for electric vehicles because you want to run your car for, you know, uh, 100,000 miles, for example, uh, or you, can, you want to use your car for more than 10 years. And lithium ion batteries is obviously the way to go. Um, if, right. we are, if we are considering the energy density, so that's something that's very important when we consider what kind of battery can be utilized for vehicles. You want a battery that's light, uh, meaning that you want to hold a lot of energy within a small mass of a battery and lithium ion battery is the way to go. Right, so so lithium, lithium, the atomic mass is seven. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Seven. What's the atomic mass of lead? I don't have it here, but lead is really heavy. Lead is, that is very heavy, but comparing lithium to lead, is that's not fair because because in lithium ion, we should compare nickel, manganese, or cobalt with lead, 
because you you have lead oxide as the positive electrode, you have still those are you know first transition row and lead is third. Yeah. So it's and it's at the end near the end of the third row right. of transition right. metals. So yeah. lead is just really heavy. Right. Per per unit, you know, charge. Yep. Yep. I wonder. So so why do they still use lead? For, for car batteries. It, I, I'm wondering if it's in the recycle. Do they melt the lead? Is that how they purify it? Is it just that it has a low melting point? Yeah, they melt the lead, and it's very low energy to melt the lead. So you can uh -huh. melt the lead melts. Uh, lead melts at about uh, 500 Fahrenheit around that range, five or 600 Fahrenheit, which is actually very no, sorry. Uh, isn't that why the Romans made pipes yeah, out of it? That's because right. It's it very easy for yeah. them to mold. It's very cheap. It's very we cheap to melt it. it and mold it yeah. into things. And yeah, so it's it's probably one. Of, it's one of the easiest metals to form into different shapes, and also one of the easiest metals to melt. Hmm. Yeah, and the the atomic mass of lead, if I remember right, is two hundred and six. So lithium that's is right. atomic mass of seven. And uh, let's see. Versus 206. That tells yeah. you how much lighter lithium is. Iron is 57, I think, or it's right around 50, 55, 57. Yeah. 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 So the other thing about lithium is the earth abundance, which is something we've talked about on Twist before. Um, it, lithium is moderately earth abundant, um, 20 milligrams per kilogram of the earth's crust. And so, but the cool thing about it is that it, it's geopolitically dispersed. Um, basically, you know, the, the major exporters are um, Southern South America, Chile. like Chile yeah. and Argentina, and then, and Australia, and then, um, the, the U.S. and China are both self-producers, so we're not competing with China for their lithium, although we, I think we use up significant part of their lithium supply because a lot of our electronics are made there. And then um, Europe is, and Africa are net importers, I'm pretty sure. Um, so... Lithium's very abundant, it's light. Um, so what, now let's get into what are the actual electrode materials? We're gonna talk about this paper that you sent us um, that was published in Nature Communications and the year was... Um, this year. This year, 2020, so Early. brand new, hot off the press. Um, and so what are the actual chemical electrode materials in this paper? Yeah, so uh, this paper is developing cathode materials that we described earlier, uh, the cathode chemistry. So which in the battery, this will be on the higher potential side. Um, so that, that in the lithium ion batteries we are using today, like in your cell phones, we use lithium cobalt oxide. So you take one lithium, one cobalt, and two oxygen. So form a lithium cobalt oxide. 
Well, Kubo is tossing. Sure. Um, Kubo is problematic in a few ways. Uh, first of all, Kubo is expensive. Uh, Kubo is toxic. And the Kubo supply chain is very much different from lithium supply chain because Kubo is really uh, the geopolitically distribution, uh, distributing of the Kubo is really limited to very few places on the planet. And one place would be in Africa, uh, Congo Republic, right? So the, Cong uh, the, the Republic of Congo. Yeah, Congo Republic, Republic of Congo, Republic of Congo. And, yeah, yeah. And, and and that has been in political turmoil for a long for time. Yeah, a long time. Corruption and everything, right? So yeah, so cobalt supply is tricky. Right, right. You don't want to have a. You don't want to have a, a very key component of a battery coming from a, a place like that, right? So there is a big driving force right now to replace Kubo, or at least to significantly reduce the amount of Kubo use in, in batteries. So this paper, we are uh, replacing Kubo with mostly by nickel and uh, partially by manganese as well. So this material becomes something we call uh, nickel-rich and Kubo, low Kubo cathode, and that's a chemistry that a lot of people have been developing, but the problem is very significant. Uh, few problems. One is when we are increasing the nickel content, the stability of the cathode becomes a problem. So that translates into the lifetime of your batteries. So how can we improve the lifetime and what are the factors dictating the lifetime of this kind of battery cathode? Uh, those are the questions that we are working on in my lab. So in this paper, we describe, instead of changing the chemical composition of this material, so oftentimes people will add additional elements to the material to make, to stabilize changing the microstructure of the material. So essentially means that we are changing the way lithium iron go in and out from the material. So, so that, that gets to just a fundamental point. When we were talking about the lead acid battery, it's the protons, the hydrogen H plus mm -hmm. ions that move from one electrode to the other in a lead acid battery. In a lithium ion battery, it's actually the lithium ions that move, mm -hmm. not, you know, so you've got electrons moving through the outside loop mm -hmm. and lithium moving inside the battery, if you will. Right, right, right. Lithium, lithium move across the electrolyte. And that's what Lou is working on for the most part is, is basically trying to get lithium to move fast Right. So we'll come back to that. Yeah. So then I wanted to ask you about your the or the alignment, the orientation. Yeah. But first I wanted to ask you, these are nanoparticles, right? Well, these are actually micron sized particles. So if Okay, those, micro microparticles then. What is the advantage of having, you know, instead of just a continuous layer of material as the electrode 
than having particles. Okay. What is the advantage of particles, microparticles? Okay, so so basically, uh, this will be related to the particle size dependent battery behavior. So for a lot of these materials is commercially, you know, practically, you synthesize the material from solution phase synthesis. You start from metal ions and then you add base to it for metal hydroxide and then metal hydroxide particles and you collect it and then you mix that with the lithium source and then file that up to very high temperature and eventually transform that to the cathode materials that we need. Um, the particle size, we cannot go too low in particle size because these electro materials are usually very sensitive to the atmosphere, for example, you're not talking about transportation of raw materials between, between the manufacturing of the particle between, and uh, the battery manufacturing. So the shelf life will be a concern if you have the particle size is too small. The other concern is more from the pr practical standpoint, if you have size that's too small, it's hard to pack the particles in a very dense manner because if you're nanoparticles, they don't pack as well as bigger particles. Oh, okay. Um, and they will also consume a significant amount, more significant amount of uh, uh, other chemical agents in the in the electro formulation, such as a solvent. Uh, so those practically, it's it's not uh, it's not commercially uh, exciting. Um, going too small particle size, and also if you have too small particle size, the the reactivity is too big with the electrolyte, and the lifetime gets gets worse. Now, well, what about thin layers on the other end? You know, instead of microparticles. Oh, on the other side of the spectrum, you'll be looking at yeah. something that's very bulky, right? So really big. If you go very, very big, then in order to charge a certain region in the material, your lithium ion will have to travel much longer distance to reach that location. To finish the to finish the chemical reaction, right? So you're really playing around with how small is good, how big is good, right? So that kind of trade-off, and that get us to what we have today with particle size ranging from 10, 20 okay. micron size. Uh, that's also the size we have for your uh, for your uh, laptop, a cell phone, lithium cobalt oxide cathode within that micron range. But there, if you disassemble one of your batteries, uh, well, to the audience, don't do that. It's, it's not safe to disassemble lithium ion batteries, but- Don't try this at home. Don't try that at home, but we do that often in, in the lab. Uh, sometimes you take commercial batteries and disassemble them trying to understand the particle size distribution of these materials. You will see that some of them are actually have bigger particle and small particles stacking together. You can almost think of this as a way that you have bricks, big bricks stacking together, and then you have holes uh, between the bricks and use, use smaller particles to fill those holes. So within a small volume of an electro, you can pack in a lot of materials. That's essentially what people are doing. Now getting into this alignment a little more, within these particles that we've been talking about, you have some beautiful pictures of radially oriented grains. Could you explain that? So. So we, we can think of this a way that, um, so we are going to a, a football stadium, right? Um, um, you, you, you go to a football stadium and there, well, I, I guess we'll use a different example. We are, we are at the food court. We're waiting for avocado and we are starving. 
there are hundreds of people on the line and uh, you just go tortuous, right? So then for you to get food, it will take forever to reach the counter to, to order your food. How about we do this? We spread out this, this, this tortuous line into a few different lines and each of them are very uh, straight, straighting into the counter. And we have multiple counters for, for the food order. Then each of us will go into the food court, uh, the, the counter much faster. That would be the an an analogy that we use that how we design this is essentially if we align the particles that allow lithium ion to go in and out the particle in the within the shortest distance, then you can have lithium to participate in the chemical reaction in a faster fashion. Okay, so how do you get these to line up? So these are like channels going into the center of a sphere, right? Or coming out, you can think of them coming right. out or going in um, to the center of a sphere. Mm -hmm. How do you get them to align that way? How do you make them? So that, that has to do with the, the way that materials want to grow into, you know, all of this start from a very small nuclear, a sub-nanometer nuclear, that a few nickel ions and a few hydroxide ions and fused together. I mean, I, I use the word fused. In chemistry, we don't use the word fused, but they get together to form something we call nuclei, right? So the, the starting point. Now, after the starting point, when you add more chemical agents to that starting point, you can find a way to allow this additional metal or hydroxide ions to attach to the starting point at different orientation. So if you can control your synthetic environment in the, chemi in the, in the, in the reactor, then these metal ions and hydroxide ions will be added to the nuclear through different orientation. And then at some point, if one orientation grows faster than other orientations, then you're going to get radially distributed. Oh, you if it grows faster in one in, in one direction and stopping the growth of other direction. If you take a piece, take a you know, okay. like here it's starting from this point and uh -huh. grow faster to this point, right? And just grow this way, and then this one grow this way as well, right? So that's how you get the radial distribution. Okay, so they grow faster toward the surface of the sphere than sideways. You don't want them growing right. sideways. So exactly. they're randomly exactly. oriented. Yep. So that was the other kind of particle you talked yep. about was the randomly oriented. Cool. Cool. The other thing, the other thing about that is the thermal processing, because don't forget that uh, I said earlier, this material, uh, this kind of materials, we have to fire them up at very high temperature, seven degrees Celsius, uh, or even 800, 900 degrees and materials will transform at the very high temperature. And this goes to the uh, more like a material science aspect of the battery chemistry is that when you, when you are uh, synthesizing material at the high temperature, uh, there are a lot of things going on in the, in the material and the morphology can change as well. It's very similar to like ceramic processing, right? You heat it up. Yeah. But how, again, how do you get them to grow in one direction outward toward the surface of the sphere? Because you clearly do, you have these pictures, they're very nice pictures 
um, I forget what they, are these transmission electron micrographs. Uh, we have we have uh, what we have scanning electron microscopy, scanning electron and transmission electron microscopy. Okay, so how did you how did you get them to grow that way? I still don't get it. How do you make them grow in that direction? So the the, the synthesis of the metal hydroxides will be the way that I, I described that you add surfactants to it. Surfactants. What's a surfactant? Surfactants. <laughs> that's that's a good question. Um, let me see. How do I explain that in this case? We did a podcast on disinfectants, you know, and how soap works with viral envelopes. So you could, you know, kind of start from. <laughs> so I think we, we've talked about charges yeah. and and like nonpolar um, hydrocarbons that are like gasoline yeah. or yeah. oil. Yeah. We've talked about oil, oily or greasy yeah. chains and charged things so you, you so you can you can think of this as that um, you have charged uh, organic molecules that the, the 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 starting point of the metal hydroxide synthesis that I described earlier the surface is also charged so if you can get positively charged they, they are negatively charged okay if you can get a surfactant that's positively charged on one end. Okay. And then so are these quats? Are these quaternary ammonia? Yes. That would be one of them. And then the, the then you're gonna have electrostatic interaction between the surface of your material and this surfactant species. And they absorb to the surface. If they absorb to the surface with uh, that's a preferred surface absorption. Uh, because the different surface will have different surface energy. If you have a high energy surface, then these surfactants would like to absorb on those sides first, right? So if the sides the size are occupied by the surfactants, then there's no way you can grow. So the side that's not occupied by the surfactants, then you can grow. That's how you get this preferred growing direction okay. of, the, cool. of, the, of the particle. Cool. Where did you learn how to do that? Well, this is actually, if you go down to the, all this nanocrystal growth uh, literature, uh, people are developing go nanoparticles with different shapes. Uh, we have colleagues yeah. in our department doing that. You know, different shapes, different particle size. You are adding surfactants to, 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 to tune that growth behavior. So uh, the chemistry is very, very similar. Yeah. So what's the advantage then for a battery? We'll come back to the point of this paper and, and this will be our take home for this section. Why does radial growth of these particles, these microparticles, give you a better battery? Okay, so we can, we can talk about this in different perspectives. Uh, number one would be something we call rate capability. And here to the audience, this is a new term, uh, rate capability. Uh, you can translate that term to be something charging speed. So charging speed. Like okay. I said earlier, uh, your lithium ion now with the radio align, radially aligned grains, lithium ion can go in and out faster. That means if you are charging a battery, you can charge up your battery faster. That's 
How much faster? Uh, we evaluate that uh, with two different. So the way that we evaluate the charging uh, rate is that we will have, say, we want to finish the charging of this battery within one hour, and we monitor how much capacity we get out of it. Right. So now with this radial alignment, we are getting, I think the number was about 20 to 30 percent higher capacity within the fast charging, like, you know, finish charging in one hour. Um, we, have, we so far okay. have evaluated that with two different charging rates. Obviously, we are doing more work to this and see whether we can finish charging in 15 minutes. That will be more exciting for uh, for the practical use of this material. Um, so that's the charging, uh, charging rate, charging speed. The other, the other thing is about the lifetime uh, of the battery. So this, the failure, one of the failure mechanism of this material is mechanical degradation. It's almost think of this that you have battery particles like a meatball. A meatball. <laughs> Get a meatball battery, right? So, so uh, the cracking behavior, the particles will actually crack over the long-term use. Of, of a battery. Now, once the battery cracks, uh, particles cracks, then they don't perform as well as the, in, the, the whole particle. So the second challenge we're trying to solve within this paper is, is that allow lithium ions go in and out in a more uniform fashion. So, because you think about inserting lithium in this material, you must have some kind of volume expansion of the material. When you have volume expansion or volume shrinkage, you're going to generate mechanical stress. And this will be very similar to what we find on the highway pavements. You have cracking between the summer and winter time, the volume expansion and shrinkage. Same thing happens within battery materials, although at the, at the micrometer length scale or nanometer length scale. So this is the second uh, challenge that we, we try to resolve within this work. Okay, that's great. Okay, so just to summarize this this section, um, lithium. Yeah, you have a can, question. Can I ask just a couple of? Uh, uh, you might have said it, and I might have missed it, but um, the the polycrystalline, just the meatball packed, all random orientation uh, crystals, are those the uh, the the cheap and easy ones to form? Is it the fact that uh, you need to you need to take a longer time to grow the grow the crystalline materials. No, uh, the growth, the growth, growth rate will be will be the same. That's why that's why okay. we we try to emphasize this that you know okay. you, you you are not going to reinvent your battery manufacturing infrastructure at all in order to synthesize this radially aligned materials, right? So this is what we call a drop-in replacement. Exactly. Exactly. That's great. Cool. Okay, well, I'll just go ahead and summarize then. Um, we, we're we've been talking with Feng Lin about um, lithium ion batteries. So that's the lithium ion that's moving. And the idea that cobalt is toxic and more rare and geopolitically fraught in terms of where it can be mined. Um, and that the, the lithium ion batteries are rechargeable and that's the big deal. Um, and what Feng Lin and his group have invented is these 
microparticles that are radially aligned so that the lithium ions can get in and out more quickly so that they charge faster and and they uh, also they're structurally more stable because you don't have um, as much disruption of the structure and cracking if you have this radial alignment. Is that pretty? So this is these are really cool materials, and I hope we start getting more useful um, lifetime batteries out of this someday. Have you started a company? <laughs> we have not yet started a company. That's something on the on the discussion book. But one thing that I want to emphasize, this material still has 10% cobalt. So our, our final target is to reduce the cobalt to be at least lower than 3%. So does the, is the manganese in it redox active? Because manganese is like 10 times as earth abundant as nickel or cobalt. Um, so for this material, uh, the redox active component is mostly on the nickel. Uh, but we have other materials that can allow to, to, to allow manganese to perform the redox active reactions. Uh, those, are, those materials are typically either having a little bit lower energy density or their lifetime or the safety are concerned. Um, so, so yes, you are asking very excellent questions. The, the general trend of the field is how can we use elements that are lighter, cheaper, and, and safer to perform, uh, to make batteries and, and always an ongoing challenge. And yeah. Okay. Thank you, Feng. So take it away, Jamie. You can start asking Lou about electrolytes. Yes. So, so I think our audience, um, we've covered what is a battery. And uh, there's two electrodes, and then there's some conducting media in between the two. And that's normally a liquid, is that right? In, in your car battery, that's a, that's a liquid. Uh, yeah. And, but, yeah. And, but not all batteries have, have liquid electrolytes, liquid conducting, ion conducting media. Sometimes they are solid. Um, so you work in solid state batteries. So can you tell us why? We might want our uh, our batteries to be solid state. What what does that really mean? Sure. Yeah. Um, so right. So almost all commercial batteries that you would see uh, in cars or in cell phones or in uh, almost anything use liquids. Um, so basically, the electrodes, the the plus and minus, the cathode and the anode. That's where the chemistry happens and that's where the energy is sort of sourced uh, but it turns out in order to have that work you have to have this closed circuit and you have to have lithium flowing from one of the electrodes to the other electrode so if it's so um, and uh, the other thing that has to happen is that you have to have so this electrolyte is what conducts the lithium so it basically moves the lithium uh, one direction in charging and the other direction during discharging. Uh, and so you want to have this electrolyte be very highly conductive. So it can conductive to lithium. Um, but actually you want it to not conduct electrons. So if you had it as being electronically conductive, if electrons could move through this electrolyte, 
then all the chemistry would just be neutralized in the battery and you wouldn't get any useful work on the outside of the battery. So you have to have this electrolyte be insulating to electrons, but conductive to ions. So that way, when you hook the wire up on the outside of the battery to your light or your motor or whatever it is, the electrons are forced to go through that, that circuit. So that forms the circuit. The electrons go one way outside the battery to do work and the, and the lithium ions or whatever other ions are gonna move the other way uh, and, and, uh, and combine with those electrons uh, inside the battery. So the electrolyte has to do that. And it turns out that liquids are very good at conducting uh, ions like lithium or sodium or lead or other things like that, protons, uh, but they're very usually very bad at conducting electrons. So that's one reason why, the main reason why liquids are used. Um, uh, so pro what are the problems with liquids? Why don't we like liquids? Okay, so liquids can leak, right? So if you have your battery, if there's any kind of um, puncture, then you can have uh, liquids that leak. Uh, or in the case, of, say the car battery, usually that there's some opening there and you can have sulfuric acid, which can burn you, um, can come out of the battery. Um, so that's, that's one problem. Another problem with the ones in the lithium batteries is that it turns out the best electrolytes to use or the best ones we've found so far are flammable. So they can conduct lithium, but uh, they also can vaporize. So if the battery gets too hot, if you might've seen a lithium battery puff up and that's where you have degradation of the electrolyte um, and, uh, and that can form gas inside and eventually burst the battery and then you have a fire. Lithium is very chemical reactive and the electrolyte is flammable so you can have uh, can have a fire. So the electrolyte has an organic component. Um, usually this is dimethyl carbonate and the right. carbonate is not the flammable problem. That's not going to, you know, catch on fire, but the methyl groups are right. flammable. Yep. Those are like the same right. kind of thing as Those are gasoline. Like gasoline. Yeah. Basically, that's or right. methanol, yeah. so it's like oil, like wood alcohol. Right. So if your computer battery looks a little swollen, you should get a blast shield from behind the door of your lab and put it in front of the battery and walk away. Well, yeah, just stop stop using it. I mean, if you unplug it, not going to get worse just sitting there. You have to be running it. Yeah. So another so one another issue with liquid electrolytes is that their temperature range is usually quite limited. So. Uh, you might know that if you leave your battery in your trunk, trunk of your car in the wintertime, it may not turn on. And so what's happening is that the liquid, <clears throat> the liquid in there can freeze or it can become so thick that the ions can't move anymore. Um, so the liquids really only work from, uh, you know, probably about 40 Fahrenheit, 30 or 40 Fahrenheit up to about 100 Fahrenheit. And that's, you know, that's sort of okay. Like humans live in that environment, right? Um, but, but that's a fairly limited range. If you think about a normal automobile, right? The under the hood and all that stuff, there are things that are at 800 Fahrenheit and there are things that are a lot of things that are at 200 Fahrenheit. And then when you're driving, you're in the winter time, then you might be, if you're in Minnesota, you might be at minus 30 or minus 40 Fahrenheit. And so you'd like to have your battery be able to work uh, I've personally experienced minus 40 a couple times, uh, <laughs> minus 30 many times. Um, 
And uh, yeah, so anyway, you'd like to have that a wider range of temperatures that your battery can work at. So that's that's one way that solid, so all, all of these things can be helped by having a solid electrolyte or a solid state electrolyte. Um, so part of the battery field is uh, including um, Menglin and I are working on all solid state batteries. So basically every component inside the battery is a solid. Um, and so one of the one of the things that's nice is that usually solids are not, they don't vaporize uh, and they're and often are not flammable. Um, turns out the one we use is is very, very not flammable um, and uh, and non-reactive and sort of so there's a, a major safety issue there that uh, you can, if you overcharge the battery or have some kind of event that affects the battery, it will not, um, you know, it won't leak, it won't puncture, or even if you do puncture it, uh, there's no leakage, there's no fire, there's things are protected. Um, so that's a major advantage of the solid electrolyte. Uh, and then another feature often of solid electrolytes, but especially the one we're using is that um, it's very stable, even up to four or 500 degrees Fahrenheit uh, or, or 250 degrees Celsius. Uh, and so that, that basically allows you to maybe make a battery that will work at a, at a very high temperature um, and, and at low temperatures too, hopefully. And so um, can you kind of step back and tell us what's the difference in a liquid and a solid? Because you call these solid state batteries, but you know, a kid would call them, you know, like GAC state batteries or, or <laughs> I, I don't know. I assume that there's some sort of gel, um, but you know, your paper talks about liquid crystalline phases and, you know, if you can sort of explain okay. to people, okay, uh, why you get some of the benefits of a liquid phase in a gel, but then you also get uh, the benefits of a solid state. Sure. So we can talk a little bit. Um, so yeah, the conventional batteries have some sort of mat in there, something that soaks up the liquid. So if you open it up, you wouldn't actually necessarily see or you know immediately see a liquid, but it would basically be, if you squeezed it, the liquid would come out very easily. Um, and sort of dra form droplets and things. Um, so the material we use, um, as Jamie said, is, is an ion gel. Um, and those things um, can have very different forms actually. So often we think of gels as being uh, like jello, right? Like something you would eat, um, you know, and that sort of, it's, it looks like a solid, but you can wiggle it and it's very soft, right? Um, and you can push on it and, and, and move it around. Those gels, it turns out, are um, like 98% water. And then they have some um, polymer or long molecules in there that sort of binds everything together and forms this solid. Um, it turns out our material, uh, it uses these long molecules, polymers, um, and they're very strong polymers. So if you might've heard of the polymer Kevlar, which is used in things like uh, lightweight canoes and bulletproof vests and other structural materials that are extremely strong and, and lightweight. bike helmets, bicycle helmets. Right. So this, the polymer we use, the plastic we use is, is very close to Kevlar. Um, and so we can make something that actually, you know, has a little bit more liquid like stuff in it. Um, but it's extremely stiff. So it actually looks, uh, it feels a little bit like, uh, you know, like a plastic, not 
you know, feels a little bit, a little bit like, um, hmm. you know, like. Does it feel like the silicone, you know, mats that you pull hot stuff out of the oven with, or is it squishier than that? Well, it's, it's quite a bit stiffer than that. Quite actually. A bit stiffer. So if okay. that's the right, that's the right direction, but the stiffness is maybe 10 times higher than that. So it sort of has, has that a little bit flexible, but it's also quite stiff. So, um, yeah. But it's not um, brittle and hard. Uh, right. It is somewhat brittle actually, but not so brittle that it falls apart, uh, when you're using it in the battery. Um, and, uh, what else? Yeah. So it has, it has basically this special Kevlar like polymer in it. And then there's, there's liquid. We combine that polymer with something that starts as a liquid, but then it sort of solidifies when you combine the two together. And that liquid actually is still on the nanometer scale. Okay, so that's just a little bit larger than atoms. Um, the ions can move around like a liquid, um, but they actually are sort of um, correlated with each other, or they're they're um, associated with each other, or partially stuck to each other. The ions are so that they act; they can still have solid solid-like properties. And so this is, is this the neat P sodium PBDT that is a, that is a liquid or, uh, or an, an aqueous, no, no, that's okay, a solid. So an aqueous solution of it. Well, we make no. a water solution of that polymer, that PBDT. Okay. Um, and then, and, and then, then we combine that with contact this other, it with the uh, EMIM ions, basically salts. Right. And, and then, then by ion exchange, it soaks. Yeah. Okay. Talk about ionic liquids, Jamie. You you can introduce the concept, and Lou can tell you exactly what he's. So ionic liquids in general are a field of uh, mixing and matching ions, cations and anions, plus and minus charges, um, and combining them in ways that uh, that they that those ions don't pack well together, and if they don't pack well together, such as if you combine low symmetry cations and anions together or a low symmetry cation uh, one that you couldn't find a it, it well just something not very symmetrical so like people kind of have a split line down the middle of a of a line of symmetry um, but if you if your left side looks very different from your right you wouldn't have a line so low symmetrical uh, cations the plus charges and then anions that uh, that just diffuse the negative charge really well. And if a charge is diffused on the surface, then two charges don't stick well together. And if they don't stick well and they don't pack well together, then things don't melt very well. And so then you have a, a salt, which is which is liquid at some workable temperature range. And it, so it does melt. It does. Oh, melt oh it, do, well. it does melt. Uh, yes, it does. Yeah, it does melt well in a in a melts at a low temperature at a, at a low temperature. Right. So yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we can basically take this polyelectrolyte, which is a long molecule, sort of like a thread that's got charges attached to it every so often down the thread. And then we combine that with these ionic liquids, which are, which are basically salts that melt that are liquid at room temperature. Um, and then uh, these long threads, these Kevlar-like polymers, 
that had the charges on them, they're actually very stiff. So they, they um, have this structure of uh, double helix, uh, which, which people know is that's the same kind of structure as DNA. So they have a very similar structure to DNA. Um, and, and like DNA, um, because you wrap, wrap these two molecule chains or strands around each other, that actually makes things more stiff. Um, and DNA turns out as has a stiffness um, of about 50 nanometers. Um, okay, and this polymer has a stiffness that's that's about 20 times higher than that. So its stiffness is like a thousand nanometers. Um, and uh, so basically, we can take these strands, these 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 double helix strands, which are charged, and then add these uh, ionic liquids or fluids that are that are all ions. We can mix those together, um, and the strands will align with each other, and then um, they're sort of held together by these other ions, the liquid ions, um, and they sort of condense. It's almost like you take the liquid and you stick these charge rods into it and you solidify the liquid. So it's like you, some people call it templating the liquid. Um, or templating the material and turning that liquid into a solid. So it's like if you add 10% or 20% of this polymer, these long strands with the charges on them, then it turns this liquid, which conducts ions really well, um, mostly into a solid. Okay, so it turns it, that is, when you pick it up, it feels like a solid, like a little piece of plexiglass. Um, but when you look inside at the very small scale, then the ions still move as if they were, they, they think they're in a liquid basically. That is so cool. And they just bump into, these, <laughs> bump into these little chains, these strands, but they can. And how long are these strands? So they're around a thousand nanometers, uh, which is the same as one micrometer. Uh, so that's one millionth of a meter. Um, and our, what we can see, your hair is, our hair is something like 50 micrometers. So this is like 50 times. So the length of these chains is about 50 times smaller than the diameter of a human hair, just for, to give some reference there. Uh, and the diameter of the little charged strands, the double helices, that's about one nanometer or about one one thousandth of a mil, of a micrometer. So that's about um, 50,000 times smaller than the diameter of a human hair. So how many monomers are in the sulfonamide chain, hmm. typically? Um, that's actually, it turns out that's very difficult to measure um, by conventional techniques. So we have some uh, specialized measurements that give us a good idea, but uh, there's, there's somewhere around... Um, in an individual strand, there's probably somewhere around 100 monomers or 50 mon 50 units. Um, but but when you talk about this one micrometer long double helix strand, that's actually made up of multiple strands of the polyelectrolyte. So they actually you have like a helix and then another helix and there's one helix is sticking out and then we think another helix comes in. So there are multiple chains along the axis, maybe five chains or 10 chains or something like that, that form this whole micron long rigid um, thread. So they really do sort of make their own thread. Yep. They thread together. That's that's very yeah. cool. Wow. And, and we actually think they probably form y, Ys also. So like the, D, D, the double helix would 
split at one end and then you'd have another helix that would wind away from that and you could have wide junctions and that may actually contribute to how stiff the material is but we that's also very hard to measure so that's an idea at this point but it, it seems likely well i i want to make sure that we do get to um the the question of how you and fung work together uh well go ahead maybe you could just explain what what's you know just summarize what the advantage of this material is sure. in a battery yep right Sorry. so so um so that this is kind of a wacky new material it's it's a it's a new we think it's a new class of materials actually that 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 is held together in this way by all these ions interacting with each other um, more much more dramatically than any other kind of solid material um and so some of the properties are that uh, if you think about just the liquid, so like the salt that's liquid at room temperature, that liquid um, uh, conducts, you can measure how well it conducts. And it turns out that this solid uh, conducts about three times worse than that, which is really not very much. So it's, it's almost, uh, almost as high. Sometimes you can make it only half, half the conduction uh, of the liquid. So you have something that conducts ions really well. Um, and then uh, the material is, is non-flammable. You can actually take a torch and you can put it right on the material and it'll sort of curl up and it'll turn color a little bit, but you, you'll never have a flame. So there will not sustain a flame. Um, so that's, that's a safety issue, right? So if, if your battery gets punctured or rupt or, you know, just, or bent or something, it will not burn. Um, and the other thing, so one of the things is that um, the ones we're using in our pilot batteries are stable to at least um, 250 degrees Celsius. So that's, um, uh, that's you know, around 450, uh, 450 Fahrenheit. And so we can actually make batteries that will work up to 150 Celsius. So that's about um, 250 Fahrenheit, um, roughly. So I have a quick question sure. about that. Uh, when you talk about temperature stability, I think that's TGA, right? Uh, you can measure it that way, yeah. Um, uh, when we do the batteries, we're actually running it for hundreds of hours. That's what I wanted. Um, and just running it back and forth. We're charging it and discharging it, charging and discharging it. I think those last up to about uh, 300 hours or something like that at 150 Celsius. And yeah, so... Wow. So it's not just sitting, you're sitting at 150 Celsius for 300 hours and running the battery back and forth. Okay. Yeah. I know that the, the uh, reported, the literature on thermal stability of ionic liquids is, it varies a lot by what the, what the TGA method was, what the heating method was. Sure. And, yeah. Yeah. If, you, yeah. if you just run it up very quickly in temperature, you can say it lasts, it's, it's stable, but if you let it sit there for hours, I think we've let our, some of our materials, we've let them sit at 300 Celsius for um, maybe six hours or something like that. And they're, and they don't degrade. Um, so that doesn't mean they're going to last a thousand hours, but, but, you know, if you go to 250 degrees Celsius, they'll sit there for, I think, as long as you want. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I think now we'll just like have a quick, um, sort of dessert, as the seminar speaker said on Friday, about how you two are collaborating. 
So basically, um, Feng and I have a grant together through the Department of Energy, uh, and it's actually through the Vehicle Technologies Office um, and the Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy. So developing new materials that enable uh, batteries for different applications, more stable batteries, cheaper batteries, more safe batteries, um, things like that. So there's a, there's a whole group of people, I don't know, a few dozen uh, researchers, well, as far as like managers of the projects like like Fung and I, and then there is a whole group of students and, and staff people and things like that. So there are a few hundred people in this program who are basically trying to make better batteries and, and DO, DOE, Department of Energy, decided to fund us um, to develop batteries based on this electrolyte and also combine them with new types of electrode materials. Um, so, so that's been going on for about a year. Um, and we've been um, combining this electrolyte. We've been fabricating different versions of the electrolyte and sort of mixing, mixing up different batches and, and changing the composition, changing the salt composition and changing the amount of the polymer and changing how we process this, how we make the little films or membranes that go inside the battery. But we're basically making the electrolytes and then and then we're able to one of the sorry one of the other selling points is that we could actually um, with this solid we could use lithium metal as the anode. Um, the con commercial batteries now use graphite as Fung mentioned uh, with lithium in it, and uh, it turns out that uh, lithium metal is uh, between five and ten times um, more dense in lithium. So you can store a lot more lithium in your battery with lithium metal, um, than you can with graphite. So it has some advantages, but it's very hard to get things to work with lithium metal. So, so far that's been quite successful using lithium metal. And then I'll, I'll let Fung say something about his, his cathode materials and what we're doing with the battery manufacturer. All right. Um, I think Lou summarized very well on the, the origin of this project. So, uh, so we take this novel electrolyte material, which is solid state, and uh, we combine this with our different kind of cathode materials. So uh, the material that we developed earlier that we just in our discussion, that's one of them that we are, we are using. And we are also using other kind of uh, electrical materials. We, we talk about the potential of cathode materials, the electrical reduction potential. So one of the advantages of this new electron materials from, from Lou's lab is this material is very stable at not just the temperature and also the, the potential. So this electrolyte is stable at very high potential, high voltage. Okay. Voltage, high voltage, right? Yeah. Um, so this gives us an opportunity to explore different kind of electrical materials that either very high voltage electrical materials or low voltage electrical materials, all within the same solid state electrolyte platform. So at this point, we have used electrical materials such as lithium iron phosphate, which is about 3.5 volt in the voltage. Um, it, it ran very well, like what Lou described earlier, hundreds of hours, hundreds of cycles, uh, very stable at different temperatures. Uh, I think Lou is about to submit the paper or has submitted the paper already with this work, inch close, uh, before hitting the submission. 
Um, uh, we uh, also take uh, higher voltage electrodes like the material that we uh, just discussed earlier uh, with, with a higher energy density. And I th think that uh, students from our two groups are working really hard to make uh, the all solid state battery by combining uh, materials coming out from two different research groups. Uh, so far, it, it, it has been great. We have made uh, the proof of concept study to demonstrate that uh, we can make solid state. Uh, we can charge and we can discharge solid state batteries based on the, this new novel electrolyte. So our next challenge to overcome is to make fast charging batteries out of this solid state, like what Lou described earlier. The conductivity is a little bit lower than the electrolyte, which kind of limited our fast charging capability. But we have we have different strategies on in our in our book to make this work. So stay tuned. We'll work in the next couple of years. Fast charging solid state batteries with lithium metal, much higher energy density, safer and uh, longer cycle life. Oh. Excellent. Well put. Okay, this evening we've talked about batteries from electricity through the composition of a battery, the alignment of the particular materials, how the cathode, if you align the channels radially in the spherical particles, that it improves the lifetime of the battery as well as their recharging performance time. And then the um, electrolyte, which is really important because of current flammability of the electrolytes. And so this is a completely solid state battery that Feng Lin and Lou Madsen are collaborating on. Thank you again. Okay, um, it's getting late and I have been getting in the habit of reading um, a, a haiku at the end. So this is Elemental Haikus from Mary Soon Lee. And I'm going to read this because I think you guys will enjoy this as well as my audience. Lithium, lighter than water, empower my phone, my car, banish depression. Under standard conditions, lithium is the lightest metal, light enough to float on water. It is widely used in lithium ion batteries to power everything from watches to electric cars. Lithium carbonate is one of the medications for bipolar disorder. So I wanna thank all of you um, very much for joining us today. Um, this has been uh, this Week in Sustainability. So please subscribe to this podcast. My son says I need to say that every time. Um, so thank you. And I'll say my good night. Um, and Jamie will leave you for last with the tag. Good night. Thanks very much, Felicia. Thank you very much, Felicia and Jamie, for inviting me to this wonderful yeah, podcast. Very enjoyable. This is my first time, actually. <laughs> thank you, Fung. Thank you, Lou. I think this is my first interview with a battery chemist. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's first for all of us. Think about it. Don't overthink it, but think about it. Good night. Bye. Bye. Mm -hmm. <laughs>